Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolley, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ and never view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world, where God's truth supersedes the foolish ideas of man, where religion, politics, cultural ethics, and the issues of today are discussed, because that is where we live, where truth and honesty are not subjective, and God's word is the final arbiter. My twofold mission is to present an unapologetic witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to expose the mental chains imprisoning far too many black Americans by the Democrat Party. Good evening, everybody. This is Sam Tolley with Trusting the Truth. And I am coming to you. Hold on a second. Okay. About tonight's topic, Uncle Tom's Revenge, exposing the real sellouts. You know, one thing that many of us Black conservatives get, and it's basically from people that are unknowledgeable, is we'll get all kinds of nasty names. We'll be called sellouts, Uncle Tom's. I even had a guy that I grew up with call me a coon. The sad thing about it is when he did it, he didn't tell me why. He didn't base it on anything other than a post that I made. He never said, Sam, why did you think this way? Sam, why are you doing this? Sam, let me show you where you're wrong. You know, I, have, I would have a whole lot more respect for people if they would just come out and, and communicate with us, you know, just say what's on their mind, you know, instead of going with this robotic mentality that you're not a Democrat, you're a cone, you're an Uncle Tom, you're a sellout. Is that really the case? Are black conservatives sellouts, particularly black Christian conservatives, or is it that we have taken the time and investigated the evidence and have looked at the history and have looked at what's going on and the solutions that have been presented and come to the conclusion that we've been sold a bill of goods? Now, the, the question is this, or, or should I say a big question is this, if we believe that we're right, why should we go with along with what they're saying why 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 can't we hold them accountable okay show us where we're wrong prove your point to us we're willing to prove our points to them i've had people tell me all kinds of stuff i had a guy tell me once where when he was concerned or think that i was going off the deep end being a conservative i said look i can prove a b c and d to you about the different parties and the racial histories and all this stuff. And the guy told me, don't waste your time. And, you know, that's one of the things that have stuck with me over the years because my attitude is this, if I'm wrong, show me where I'm wrong so I can get right. I hate being wrong. And I, and I definitely am not a person that want to disseminate bad information. But if I'm right, 
then I'm right. Or at the least you can do is you can, you can examine what I have to say and people like me and test the evidence. That's all we asked. That's what we did. But we're talking about yourself. I need to go back in history. I need to talk first and foremost about Uncle Tom. Because many people, many black people have no idea who Uncle Tom was. All they know is when they hear Uncle Tom or that you're called Uncle Tom, they get like this Plavos, uh, Plavlo's dog reaction. There was this, I think it was a Russian scientist who made an experiment um, that he had a dog and that he would ring a bell and the dog would come in and give the dog something to eat. And so he kept ringing the bell and the dog's mouth was salivate because he knew he was going to get this morsel and he get him something to eat. So it got to the point where he didn't have to give him anything to eat to get him salivating. He just ringed the bell. The dog was conditioned by that ring to um, just go wherever, you know, just think he's going to get something. So he salivated. And I think for the most part, many Blacks in America are conditioned when they hear the name Uncle Tom to get angry, to be insulted, to want to fight, to want to just do whatever, you know, because they're insulted. They call it Uncle Tom and they don't even know why. Well, let's talk about Uncle Tom. Let's talk about the writer of Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom's Cabin is the book that everybody references. And let me show you a picture of the lady who wrote it. Hold on one second while I try to put this together. Here is a picture of Harriet Beecher Stowe. She is the lady that wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. What many people don't know, even those who understand Uncle Tom, don't realize that this woman was a writer for like 50 years. She wrote over 30 books. And she was asked, I believe, to do some columns in a publication that she thought would only be a few chapters, but it ended up being like 40. And, and it was based on the premise of wanting to let people know what slavery was like in the deep South. Well, let's get back in line here. Bring me back. The thing about it was slavery was a Southern institution. It was mostly in the Southern states. And many people in the Northern states were not familiar about the brutality, the evil, um, the wickedness of it all. Many Americans went along with the mantra that, oh, well, these are just unfortunate people uh, who can't take care of themselves anyway, so they might as well be in involuntary servitude. But when Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, and I believe it was around 1853, it exposed the horrors of slavery. It exposed people being raped and beaten and murdered, that children being taken away from their, their parents, sold off, uh, wives being uh, taken away from their husband, men being beaten by the lash. It just showed the brutality 
and the honest horror of the whole thing. Well, the South hated that. They didn't want that kind of information coming out. Matter of fact, it was banned in many places because they did not want the overall American people to understand exactly what was going on. Now, <clears throat> all slave masters weren't evil. Well, slavery was an evil institution. What I mean by they weren't evil was all of them didn't beat their slaves and treat them like dogs, but many of them did. And whether you treat a person like a dog or you treat them like a servant, if that person doesn't have the freedom to make the decisions for their own life, then that person is not being respected as an equal human being. So, you know, I, I find it interesting that slavery, uh, they, they, they were banning uh, her book in the South, just like, uh, for example, they were banning stories about Hunter's laptop a couple of years ago. Where uh, that's not something we can relate to in this in this season of time, um, you know, when that the election of uh, uh, 2020 was going on, and that information came out in 2019. Well, they banned that. They made it so the 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 average citizen couldn't get that information. You had to dig uh, to get that information. And I read a statistic recently where they were saying that. 70% of Americans believe that if the laptop information that came out, well, the votes might have went differently. And for those of you who just like those back in the 1850s knew nothing about slavery, for those of you who didn't know anything about Hunter's laptop, let me just make a little short uh, statement here. Hunter Biden had a laptop. I think he had a couple, in fact, but you know, he was notorious he lived a notorious life at that time. I mean, he had womanizing, prostitutes. He was in all kinds of drugs. He was doing all kinds of stuff. So anyway, he had a laptop that broke for whatever reason. He took it to this laptop repair shop to get it fixed. Well, the man fixed his laptop. And then he tried to contact Biden to come and get it. He never did. And the man had a, um, I guess his business stated that after X amount of days or months or whatever, the property that isn't claimed is mine. So he tried unsuccessfully to get Biden, Hunter Biden, it is to get his laptop and Biden didn't do it. So he took possession of the laptop as his and he reviewed the laptop. And then he found all kinds of emails and stuff in the laptop about deals between communist China and the Biden family and how they were getting millions of dollars. And then 10% of all the money they got would go to the big guy. And this, this name that this guy that used to work with Biden named Babalewski said the big guy is Joe. Now all these, these deals took place when Joe was vice president under Obama. So, so the American people, their vice president had made a side deal with communist China and was getting money from them while being the vice president, according to the information uh, we allegedly have from this laptop. And there was also this thing that was going around when Joe was vice president about uh, Hunter doing business and getting, I don't know, like $50,000 a month or, or whatever from the Ukraine.
and then they were starting to investigate the Ukraine. And when they and then during that investigation, uh, when there was a, a prosecutor in the Ukraine uh, investigating corruption, which would involve Hunter, amongst other people, uh, allegedly. And what happened was uh, this investigator, I guess he was getting too close or whatever. Now, Joe went to Ukraine on behalf of the American government, my understanding was. And, and there was a video where Joe just said, we need this corrupt pr prosecutor uh, fired or you're not going to get the money. And then um, the guy said then something about we weren't going to fire him. And Joe said, well, I'm getting on a plane. Uh, and he said, son of a gun or something like that. He was fired. So, and I also heard a story, and I don't know if this part was on the laptop or not, about Hunter getting millions of dollars or a million dollars from the wife of Amir in Russia. And that begs the question about our news cycle or our news media. When they spent three years saying that Trump was in bed with Russia, but says nothing about this. But I'm just saying, I'm, I'm bringing it all out to say that we, here in the 21st century, we're being censored too from information. Just like those folks at the time of Uncle Tom's Cabin were being censored. Now, what made Uncle Tom's Cabin, like I said, so explosive was slaves were not allowed to read or write. You know, if you can keep a man uh, ignorant, you can keep him under control. Just like I think these days, we have these policies where they're legalizing marijuana. And I think in Oregon, uh, they're legalizing all drugs. And I say that if you can keep uh, people anesthetized, you can keep them under control. I mean, if a person is, is not functioning with a clear mental process, you can slip all kinds of stuff by them. And if you got them thinking that if I can get high and it's okay, why worry about anything? So, anyway, getting back to um, Harriet Beecher Snow and Uncle Tom. But Uncle Tom learned how to read. This little girl taught him how to read, and she taught him how to read the Bible. Uncle Tom became a believer in Jesus Christ, and he, he loved the Lord, and he loved people. And now we, we have this vision. They've, they've made this vision of Uncle Tom as some shiftless no account, uh, evil man. It's not about anything. But Uncle Tom in Harriet Beecher Stowe's book was an honorable man. He was a good man. In fact, he was um, an analogy or analogous to the suffering servant of Jesus Christ. It got to the point where some people escaped from the plantation to Canada. Uncle Tom knew it and he knew where they went but he refused to tell on them. He was beaten to death by his master because Uncle Tom was not really what they want to call today an Uncle Tom. And when I was in junior high school, I refused to read Uncle Tom because my mindset was just like many people today. I had that Pavlo's dog uh, syndrome. Uh, I believe it was the seventh grade. Uncle Tom's Cabin was one of the books we were supposed to read. I ain't reading that. I ain't reading that. 
said, I want to read the autobiography of Malcolm X instead. Okay. My teacher, Mrs. Bishop, she was an understanding woman. I guess she just wanted to give me a grade. She said, fine. It took me to get into my, I believe, 40s or maybe even 50s before I read Uncle Tom's Cabin. And when I read it, I understood how powerful and how dangerous it was because that book not only exposed the, the, the evil of slavery, it also taught about the Bible and Jesus Christ and the love of God. And that was a dangerous combination. And by the way, just so we're not um, being mistaken about anything, the party of slavery, the party that was promoting the evil of slavery and wanted us not to know or the public at that time to read Uncle Tom's Cabin was a Democrat party. So they hated Uncle Tom's Cabin. They hated Harriet Beecher Stowe because of what it did. And that book created such a force that some say that it was a contributing factor to the Civil War. So never underestimate the power of words. Words are powerful and they are very, very dangerous. They are very deadly. Uncle Tom was not an Uncle Tom. He was a great person. But why was he, why did people destroy him? Why did people want to destroy him? It wasn't just, it wasn't just slavery um, in the 1800s around the time Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote this book that people wanted to get rid of Uncle Tom. In the 1900s, uh, in the 20th century, there was a very strong effort to get rid of Uncle Tom an effort that many of us have no idea actually took place. I'm going to share some of that with you right now. There was a man named Manny Johnson that wrote a book. This book right here. The book is called Color, Communism, and Common Sense. He wrote this book in 1958. Manny Johnson was a black man who was a communist. Now, the you know he 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 went into communist as a young man, communism. The problem with his efforts to embrace communism was he was raised up a Christian, so he had he got filled up with way more Christianity in him before he let the communism start affecting him. And eventually it got to the point where he couldn't reconcile the two. Unlike many of my Democrat friends today, they seem to be able to reconcile um, many anti-biblical positions while still claiming to be a Christian. And I'm hoping they'll get a problem with that. But I wanna read a couple of points that Manny Johnson made in color, communism, and common sense while we're talking about the real sellouts. 
In chapter two of this book, at the bottom paragraph, it states, a large number of Negro ministers are all for the communists. Some are prominent and influential. Others are, they in common believe that beating the racial drum is a shortcut to prominence, money, and the realization of personal ambitions, even if the Negro masses are left prostrated and bleeding, expendables in the mad scramble for power. Doesn't that sound like some people you know of today? I can think of at least two off the hand, but there's many more. Well, actually, even three. We got, we got, excuse me, we got newly reelected Senator Warnock for one. But these preachers, like he said, they in common believe that beating the racial drums, all these fellows do that, in short, is a shortcut to prominence, money, and the realization of poor personal ambitions, even if the Negro masses are left prostrate and bleeding, expendable in the mad scramble for power. I've seen Jesse, I've seen Al, I've seen a bunch of these folks for years talking about how they're out there helping black people. And I don't see the black race in America as a whole progressing from these preachers. Let's see. Here's another point Mr. Manny made. Um, this is in what chapter? It's a very small book. It's an easy book to get. You can get it on Amazon. I think you can even get a copy online free. You know, like I said, M-A-N-N-I-N-G Johnson. Color, Communism, and Common Sense. But it's worth having a, a hardcover copy. And you get it on Audible. But th this book is worth having. It's real well worth reading because we're talking about a man that was a communist back in the 40s and 50s, or 50s at least. And we're talking about what's going on now some more than 50 years later, 60, 65 years later. On chapter four, it says ban of red integration. So he's talking about how the Communist Party wanted to use black people to help destroy America. Okay, significant it is to note that the reds, when we say reds, you're talking about the communists, and the so-called progressives never spend money on projects to help the Negroes unless these projects pay off in race, conflict, and animosity. That begs the question. You know, I remember every election cycle, Democrats are always, always talking about how they care so much about black people. Democrats, the party of slavery, remember? They're always talking about what they're going to do for black people. And I always see black people in the same position they were in before they voted for them same Democrats all over again. 
I remember this Joker, and I call him a Joker. This what's his name called Charlemagne and God or whatever. But he's talking about, well, uh, I mean, when Joe Biden sit over there and told him, well, if you don't know the difference between me and Trump, you ain't black. And then later on, this guy's talking about, well, you know, they got to they 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 got to pick a black woman to to run with him. And so you got him and these other black people talking about they got to get a black woman. So they get Kamala, who was what? Her her mother was Indian, uh, you know, from India, and her father was from the Caribbean or something. So neither one of them were black Americans, but that's, that's besides the point. I guess she fit the pigment requirement. So they got people hung up on this pigment requirement and it, and what do, what do we get for this? People are so hung up on this, just like this Katanji Brown, this new Supreme Court woman. Oh, excuse me. I don't know if she's a woman or not because she don't know what a woman is. So pigmentation is the outer look of whatever this person is. I'm more interested in what's between this person's ears, what this person's record is, what this person is going to do, what this person has done. You know, they got black folks, like I said, like Pablo's dog going for all this stupid stuff and never accomplishing nothing. And then, as sure as my name is Samuel Tolley, They'll be talking, they'll be drumming that stuff up again. They'll be getting the Spike Lees and the Samuel L. Jacksons and, and all the Hollywood folks like Spike was talking about, well, you know, old Uncle Joe, the Oprah's and all these folks. And we're supposed to listen to them like what they say has significance. Man. Let me show you a picture of Manny Johnson with a quote that he gave. I'm going to I'm going to read a paragraph before this quote that he gives you about Uncle Tom. Let's take Mr. Johnson here. Here's Manny Johnson. Now, let me read the quote before that one. Except for a brief period during the later 1930s, the Reds called those persons Uncle Toms, who sought solutions of the race problem through the medium of education, patience, understanding, and discussion, discussions which would lead to mutual agreement. Since any program leading to a peaceful solution of the race problem automatically excludes and dooms the red efforts among Negroes, it goes without saying that the reds are going to oppose it. The chief targets are the responsible advocates of such a program. They must be discredited and isolated from the masses. So in addition to the tags of enemy of the race, tools of the white ruling class, 
traitor to the race, the Reds have added the opera room of Uncle Tom. There's, he's saying right there that it was the communists that fostered this notion that Uncle Tom and Black Americans was what we think of it today. He wrote this in 1958, but this was going on since like the 30s. And most black folks in America have no idea of what I just said. He goes on and says, which is the quote I have on the picture, in their usual diabolically clever way, the Reds, communists, that is like the Marxists, those women uh, from BLM are, took the name of a fine, sincere, and beloved character made famous in the greatest indictment of chattel slavery and transformed him into a dirty, low, sneaky, treacherous, groveling, sniveling coward. This the Reds did in order to make the name Uncle Tom the symbol of social, economic, and political leprosy. I'll go a little bit further. Today, the name Uncle Tom among Negroes ranked with the term McCarthyism, generally turning many ministers into moral cowards, many politicians into scared jackrabbits, and many other leaders in hypocrites. There you have it. Uncle Tom from Manny Johnson is a handle the communists put on black people that won't stand up for the race wars, the race violence, won't stand up for uh, the incitement of anger you know, when we had those rate those those riots in 2000, um, the summer of love. Those folks weren't considered Uncle Tom's, but if you were trying to make opportunity zones or you were trying to do something that was going to help black people, you're Uncle Tom. So black people don't think like they say we're supposed to think. Uncle Tom's. They destroyed a perfectly great individual because they were able to, due to our ignorance of real history and knowledge of who Uncle Tom was. These are the real sellouts. I'll talk a little bit more. I made a few notes on the real sellouts. I want to share with you. Okay. The real sellouts masquerade as saviors. They gain cover by their vast wealth and supposed charitable deeds. They garner envy and admiration from stories of humble beginnings turned to their newfound lifestyles of opulence 
they become the rich and the famous. Lights, cameras, and microphones follow their every step. They search for their thoughts on the latest world events. And they also wonder what they eat for breakfast. It seems like everything they touch turns to gold. But for us, it's just fool's gold. No one dares criticize them because they can always point to their deeds and say, what have you done? And we say, say what? Nothing. They say, look at me. Yes, they build schools equipped with the latest innovations and prepare a table for the talented 10. However, at the same time, their actions tighten the noose around the necks of the maligned masses. The few fortunate enough to partake of their table are sacrificed enough. Therefore, to expect them to speak out beyond that is far and above beyond the call of duty. They will forcefully speak out against poverty, unemployment, poor failing schools, and the like, just as long as they are not required to offer or induce real solutions. Never will they say anything against the teachers union. They are not ignorant of the fact that the teachers union controls the money, which controls the teachers and set the educational requirements or the lack thereof. They are more than willing to sacrifice the children of others to inadequate schools, but never their own while they share the mantra of the money, excuse me, of the mantra of more money for the children, they understand that the money never filters down to them. They also understand that school vouchers would give parents the power to seek a better education for their children instead of surrendering them to the teachers union, which values the educators above those in need of an education. So speak up, they will, but sacrifice their own? That's out of the question. The real sellouts make sure that their children gain the best education possible, which will allow them to take over their place one day, thereby assuming the nobleman position they hold now. And our children are expected to take our place of serfdom. The real sellouts talk about how standards need to be lowered in order for the minorities to compete when they actually know that lowering standards will only contribute to the perpetual poverty that has been embedded in our blind culture. The real sellouts agree with demeaning slogans like voter ID is racist. They know it's a lie and a psychological tool designed to instill inferiority in us. But it is also a tool to keep them paid. As long as people are willing to listen to their nonsense, people are willing to pay them to spout it. Since their money is their God, our progress isn't and never will be. Which begs the point. Why should we continue listening to these people? 
black folks have not significantly improved in the past 57 years. I'm talking about since LBJ's Great Society. And these people are selling the same baseless, useless, unfulfilling talking points. They always offer a lot of talk sprinkled with worthless solutions. They point to white Republicans as the enemy and black folks who quit listening to the lies of sellouts, but refuse to see that the Democrat savior is the real enemy. And so are those blacks who herd and corral the masses into the Democrat plantation. See, those are the real sellouts. See, the real sellouts, they don't talk about the border and millions of illegals coming across the border. I, I, I think I heard today that Joe Biden was talking about all these folks, new Americans. Think about this. You got a family, you got a house, you, you work a job, you, 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 you bring the money home, you pay your bills, you, you know, you, you, you buy food for your family, you buy clothing, whatever, you take care of your family. Now, if all of a sudden you got 20 more people showing up in your house that expect you to take care of them, that's going to stretch your money to an excruciating amount of pain. You're not going to be able to provide for your original children the things that you were going to do. Now you got to squeeze it out amongst all these strangers. Well, look at the country as your house. All these millions of folks coming here, they ain't going to, I mean, somebody's got to pay for this stuff. That somebody is you. That somebody is a taxpayer. You know, all these bleeding heart liberals that say, oh, you know, what about the children? These people just want a place to stay. They just want to get what's better for their kids. Look, folks, that's a lie. I'm not saying it's a lie that these people don't want these things. The lie is these politicians feeding you this crap. How many of them will open their doors and let these folks in their house? None. And the fact of it is, these politicians aren't working a job like you and me. We're paying them. And we're paying them to represent us, not those folks that come across the border. These people get their salary. They get stipends. They get free stuff all over the place. And they don't have to be subject to Obamacare. but they expect us to absorb folks that don't belong here. Now, I think I also heard Obama, uh, Biden talking about giving them free health care. Well, nothing is free. Anybody tell you it's free is a lie. It's going to cost us more money and it's going to reduce our access to public health. Why? Why would they do that? Why? I mean, it makes no sense. Oh, it makes plenty of sense. Because if you have the power, you're going to get the money. Money always follows power. 
So if you have the power, you don't have to worry about the money. And the power these Democrats are looking for is the vote. If they can get more people to be dependent on that big, gigantic government mammary gland, and they'll say, golly, you know, these people, you know, they open the door, they let us in, they're taking care of us. Uh, we're going to vote for them. Then they stay in Bowdoin. They stay in power. And we, who are not living with them and their gated communities and their private security and all that stuff, we have to tolerate the nonsense. You know, the, the city of Los Angeles just elected a new mayor. And I heard for her inauguration, she cleared out all this area around City Hall. She didn't want folks to see that mess. Now, she exclaims, she's going to do something about the homeless. We'll see. I hope so. Garcetti was going to do something about the homeless. Last time I went to L.A., you know, you go about three miles west of downtown, and you're in a, you're in a uh, third world. Folks are living in sidewalks and cardboard and, 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 and tents and, and fecal matter in the street. And, you know, you have just, you know, you got drug addicts and you got crazy people. I mean, it's just you wouldn't even want to walk down the street. Matter of fact, the businesses, the businesses in that area, the only thing that they can do is come in and out of their driveways. Because the sidewalk, the sidewalks surrounding their business are occupied with residents of the street, and I and I'm I, I, I'm sure that many of those businesses would leave if they could, but they're trapped there. Now, if American citizens are living on the streets of Los Angeles, and I think I read yesterday there was over forty thousand. Why on earth will we be allowing a bunch of illegals to come to this country when we can't even get Americans off the street? It makes no sense. It makes none if you really care about the American people. So you tell me who's the real sellouts. Not people that are trying to make opportunities. And by the way, when, when Trump was president, he made opportunity zones available in minority communities. Black communities, you know, Hispanic communities, incentives for businesses to open in those communities and get massive tax breaks. Do you hear about that anymore? That's when Trump was president. When Trump was president, we had the, before this COVID nonsense, we had the highest uh, employment in our history, the lowest black unemployment, the lowest unemployment for women, the lowest unemployment for minorities, period. People were making money and we didn't have any inflation. But we were told that if you vote for Trump, you ain't black. We were told that Trump was evil. We were told that if you wore a MAGA hat, uh, you're crazy and you're, you're, you're a, what do they call Larry Elder? The black face of white supremacy. You tell me who's a sellout. And like I said, also, with all these millions of people crossing the border, they drive down wages. When you got folks that's used to not making any money across the border that could do a trade that will cost a lot more money in the United States, 
whether you're a Democrat or Republican business, if you can get lower employment, you're gonna shoot it because your highest cost is manpower or woman power or woke power or he should, whatever the heck you wanna call these, these folks these days. So it drives down wages. Not only does it drive down wages, but what about the black folks, the Hispanic folks that live here that are United States citizens that want a job? Now we have to compete against those illegals. Why? Why should we be competing against millions of illegals? You tell me who's the real sellout. The real sellout is these so-called celebrities and athletes and, and all these folks that get up there and these, these commentators that talk all this crap. And actually all they're doing is like somebody riding on a, on a cart with a donkey in front of it with a carrot. And, and, and the black person or black masses are the donkeys. And that carrot is this money and, the, and this better lifestyle that's being promised that you ain't going to never catch up with following these people because they offer these same solutions and stuff. Back in 1965, uh, when, when LBJ and his great society kicked in and, and Senator Moynihan made the warning that 25% of black families only have one, a single parent and that that was a catastrophe. Now it's almost 75%. But these people, all these talking heads and celebrities and, and all these rich and famous folks, they don't talk about that stuff. They don't talk about that. They don't talk about uh, uh, our, our girls having to share facilities with boys because of this craziness. They don't talk about emasculating our boys and telling them they could be girls when the black family is, 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 is fragmented enough. You never hear them talk about stuff like that. The only people that are standing up for the black family, by and large, are conservative, mostly conservative Christians. You will find conservative Christian men and women standing up for the black family. But they're called sellouts. Excuse me. They're called us sellouts. And we're standing up for the things of God. We're standing up for the family. We're standing up for righteousness and right living. But our brethren who have bought into the Pablo dog syndrome of the Democrat Party, they, they can't see it or they don't want to see it or they refuse to see it or whatever. But you would think that after so many years of the same lies and and, and 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 like it's like it's like living on a treadmill. I mean, they've been. I mean, gonna overcome, and we ain't never coming overcoming nothing. You would think they'd be sick of it. Well, as black Christian conservatives, we are sick of it. We ain't standing for it no more. And even if you guys refuse to move we're moving and we're praying that your children will one day you know look up and say what the heck were they thinking about they're not making no sense to me i'm not going that direction 
I'm not going to be dependent on the government to make my needs met. I'm going to depend on God and myself. Oh, let's see here. One last thing. Well, I could do a lot of stuff. I could be talking about the defund the police, the sellout, all those rich folks. You know, I remember some congresswoman or something who had her own, who spent money for private security talking about defund the police. And when they were talking about defund the police nonsense, I knew as soon as they said that it was the black community that was going to suffer the most. Why? Because all these rich folks, they got their gated communities or they got their private security. But, but the minority community who's already been suffering from a higher crime rate, the police are going to be less inclined to want to do anything. Hell, if you're going to prosecute or persecute me, I'm not getting involved in that. And what happened? We've had some of the highest rates of homicides in the country since that mess. And many of those Marxists, those communists, agitated, requested that. Sound like Mr. Manning Johnson knew what was going on. Way back in 1958, he understood it. He understood the defund of the police was crazy. So what are we gonna do, folks? And I didn't even talk about abortion. I'll save killing our prodigy off again for another time. But the real sellouts are those folks that keep inviting us to do the same thing over and over again that they know full well isn't going to change nothing. See, getting back to schools for a second, like I said, if we had school vouchers, they're not doing us a favor giving us school vouchers. We pay the taxes. You know, I'll use this analogy. I've used this analogy before. I'll use it again. When you feed your family, you're going to go buy them some meat. And if you and, and if you go to a store and they sell you bad meat, you're not going back to that store. But we don't have a government that makes you go to that store. Yet, we may one day. You're going to go find a store that's going to give you the meat that you want. So you can take it home to your family. But we let the government insist on telling us where our kids can get miseducated. <laughs> I didn't say that wrong. I said miseducated. Talk all this wokeism and all this nonsense that's not going to help them achieve anything. Where if you had school vouchers, where if your tax money followed the child, instead of following the school, then you could take your child to the school that you determine is best for your child and, and, and help your child get to where you want your child to go in the future. Now that old school is gonna have a choice. It's gonna either get itself up to snuff or it's gonna die out just like that bad meat store. And that ain't my problem. My problem is my child. But as long as you let the government dictate where your child can go, and don't give the parent the control, then you're gonna end up like this. And all those rich politicians, and I say they're rich because, well, shoot, Obama's, he bought a $15 million house. I think he got out of, 
his job of $400,000 a year, he was only in there for what, eight years? Anyway, these rich politicians, they put their kids in private school. Their kids won't suffer. Like I said, their kids are going to be the noblemen, and they insist we put ours in that failing public school. And my Democrat brother friends, they do not insist on doing what's best for their kids. And you call me a sellout? That's crazy. You guys need to start doing what's best for your kids. And then what's best for your kids is to get vouchers. Then you can decide to keep them in that crappy school if you want, or you can put them in a better school or homeschool. And you're better off these days because they're liable to tell you or tell your son that he's a girl and he might come home one day and tell you, Daddy, uh, I want a vagina. And you wonder, where the hell did that come from? Or your 13-year-old girl come home one day and talk about she wants to get her, you know, puberty blockers going. How would you like that? It's time to wake up, people. It's time to wake up. I don't give a rest, but what political party is what? I believe in doing what's right, what's moral, what's lined with the things of God. And unfortunately, this Democratic Party is lining up in many times for the thing that is ungodly. And they perpetuate the sellout mentality to black people and black people eat this nonsense. To the point where they don't even think anymore. It's just automatic. The closest I've gotten to some black people thinking that have been in the lifelong Democrats is they'll tell me, I'm not a Democrat, I'm a I'm an independent, but they still vote. I guess that's a little progress. It has to get cycled through your brain before you can make a change. And I'm not telling people you need to be a Republican. I'm telling you, you need to stop fostering or giving your vote and your power to people that foster your destruction. That's what you need to do. Quit doing it. You got to learn how to think. This is a new day, people. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's not going to get better. Listening to the same people telling the same lies or new people telling the same lies. Well, anyway, let me close with this. I hope you realize that Uncle Tom is not the bad guy. And if you've never read Uncle Tom's Cabin, I encourage you to do it. It's not an easy read for the 21st century mind, particularly if you're one of these folks that haven't been educated well because this this could be difficult but you can get the book on audible and let them read it to you but it's well worth it and if you don't know what pavlo's dog is look that up too that's well worth it 
at any rate, start thinking. Because until you start thinking on your own, nothing's going to change. As I like to always say, remember this. Either your theology is going to govern your politics or your politics is going to govern your theology. If you're a Christian, you better get your theology to govern your politics. That means God comes first. What he says comes first. And the way we live our life is through him and not through some political party. Any political party wants you to do anything that is antithetical to the word of God. Don't do it. Until next time, this is Sam Tolley, and I'm out.